Good morning. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm uh, a North Campus pastor here at Parkview Church. Uh, it is a privilege and an honor to, uh, to preach here today. Uh, today we'll be in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through, uh, through 17. So uh, before I even get going here, I would like to hear from our Lord, um, to, uh, to hear what he has to say to us today. So uh, if you are able, out of reverence for uh, our God and King who speaks to us, I'd ask that you stand as I uh, read uh, what the Lord has revealed of himself to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. It reads, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Christ crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to, be, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So uh, I have three girls, and uh, this week we were over at uh, Centennial Park in North Liberty. And uh, if you've been there, you, you know that there's a like a xylophone, you know, an, an outdoor xylophone that's there. Uh, they've got, you know, kind of this beautiful, like, rainbow order, minus, like, up there, the green and the yellow are, are flipped around. It drives me crazy. But, um, but they've got a nice little xylophone there. So I was talking with, uh, with my girls uh, about, you know, chords and playing, you know, playing the thirds. And we, we we're talking about how it's, it's crazy how when you skip, you know, each one of these notes, all of a sudden two notes are playing together, but they sound really good together. Um, and just talking a little bit about just a little bit introduction into music theory and, and talking about chords and harmonies and, and those. And, uh, and it was really interesting. I said, but, but, but this only makes sense you know, as, you know, any good father at a playground would do. Um, uh, this makes sense because they're all in the same key. These are all tuned to the same key. Okay, at that point, we'd stop playing and dad's just teaching. Uh, but you get the point there. Uh, there's something that happens when we play these chords here. There's a unity that comes in the key that's being played, even in the harmonies that exist within it. Well, we hear uh, actually a musician back in the ancient Near East uh, spoke to this, this idea, except they weren't keys being played. They were, they were hearts and people. They weren't uh, uh, sounds and melodies being heard, but they were the voices of people. Uh, we go back to uh, one of the most famous songwriters of the ancient Near East, David. In uh, Psalm 133, he speaks of this idea of the harmony that comes from this unity. He says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then he kind of flashes his like ancient Near Eastern hipster card and he says, it's so beautiful, it's like a well-oiled beard. And, uh, and, and I love that, how, how, how good and pleasant it is that uh, when brothers dwell in unity. Well, we get to this spot here in the text that we've read, uh, in the text for us today, where Paul, a missionary, church planner, uh, has, has gone to the city of Corinth. Corinth is a culture-creating city. Uh, it's, it's a leader in 
commerce. It's, it's a, a huge city in, um, in Rome. It has a language. It has culture. It has uh, all kinds of things that people want. And it creates this culture and sends it out. And so it's, it's not just simply doing its own thing. It's actually influencing in the world around it. I think Iowa City has a little bit of that, uh, of that feel to it. And so I think it's a lot easier for us to relate to something like Corinth there. But the problem is that this church planner, he, he goes in, he sets this unified message of the cross of Christ, of Christ resurrected. He even says uh, in chapter 15, he'll say this is of first importance. Uh, and he leaves him there. He puts some elders, some leadership in place. But now he's writing this letter and he's saying... Guys, this, this went sideways. This, this isn't going so well. Uh, you you kind of missed the whole thing here. I, I gave us the key that we're going to be singing in. I gave us this unified approach, and it seems as though all of this, this stuff around you, this culture around you, this celebrity status, this aspiring to different uh, levels of creativity and rhetoric and knowledge and commerce, all of those things became super attractive to you and you didn't realize that the gospel was very different than that and all of a sudden you started to try and make your church better and more distinguished by using those. And rather than having harmony of the gospel, it sounds like there's much discord. But he gives us a solution here. Now we're going to go through 1 Corinthians very slowly this school year. And so I'm not going to give everything. I'll just give what our verses today have for us. And I think the solution is there. He says, you're going to need to tune yourselves back to the key of Christ. And that is what is going to unify you most. And so, uh, so then he throws at them, his urge will be the urge that I give you today. As he said, uh, with everything that Christ is, agree. Now, that's not just a, you know, a leadership power move of saying like, all right, everyone at Parkview, just submit to leadership. Let's move on. That's not what he's saying. I want, I want to pause that. I want to hear Paul's argument. I want to explore and expound on Paul's argument here because he's going to root our unity in Jesus Christ and not simply in Jesus Christ in his resurrection glory because we're all confident and wonderful, victorious in Christ. He's going to root it at the foot of the cross. He's going to say what makes all of us the same is that we are sinners at the foot of the cross. And that brings us into a humility that moves us into a loving activity within the community. He says up here, I thank God. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God because he has enriched you with all speech and all knowledge. However, you're very apathetic when it comes to love. The cross of Christ will take us there. So we get into this here now. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. I'm just going to read through this here. Uh, verse 10 is where I'm at. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right there, he, it's amazing. He evokes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to bring about his own name and say this is, is nothing, but it's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means everything that Jesus is, his reputation, his attributes, his character, his desire, his example, his teaching, everything that is Jesus Christ is wrapped up into his name, his reputation. Do you have a good name? Do you have a bad name? We're, we're talking about reputation. Everything that is Jesus. He says, I am coming at you like a pit bull with laser beam focus. This is getting weird, but it's so focused. All the chips in. Jesus Christ and everything that he is, I appeal to you. I urge you, is the word here. I urge that you agree. 
literally the words there are I, uh, that you have the same speak. Now that's weird for our English ears, but that's what it is. The same speak. You have the same voice. You're saying the same thing. You're singing the same song. You're in the same key. He says, I urge you, let's read on here, uh, that, you, that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you. That you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So he says the same speak and the same, uh, he says in the same mind, the same thought that's there. Uh, you know, later on in, in chapter 2, verse 16, he'll say, uh, we don't know everything that is in Jesus' mind. We, we can't teach him. But we do have the same mind as Christ. We do have the same thinking of Christ. We think the same way as Christ. He says we speak the same way together because of Christ. Uh, we think the same way of Christ. He says, and then we have the same judgment, the same convictions, the same purpose or intent as Christ. So we're very much the same. And I think this is a great word for us today. This is a great word for us because uh, we, Parkview specifically, we are in the midst of um, an election year. Uh, We are in the midst of a pandemic. We are in the midst of uh, a huge conversation about uh, the the, the criminal justice system. Uh, We are in in, in a conversation about race. We are in a conversation about about, uh, academics. What is our school year going to look like and what format? We're in all these different conversations and everyone, I, I didn't just throw a random list up there, they are like very extreme polemical. Like these are hot topics of debate. Even within the church, Christians are on both sides of the spectrum. He says, but there's something more than that. That's not exactly where we all have to be exactly the same on these things. Uh, Many of the things that we're debating about right now, they do need to be a little bit tighter together. Christians are not doing a great job at being unified for the sake of the gospel on several of these items. But he says, there's something different. There's something deeper. There's something uh, that we actually are united on. We're actually not speaking that much about. We need to be united in our same speak. So I urge you with everything that Christ is, agree. Have no division and be united. But then we move on to verse 11 here. It says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. He said, I urge you to agree, but the problem is you don't agree. You're divided and you aren't united. We hear from Chloe's people. I don't know who Chloe's people is. Awesome. Uh, I have no idea who Chloe's people are. That we, we could maybe guess, uh, but all we know, she could be, you know, a, a constituent. She could be someone there uh, with clout in the church. She could be a consultant of some sorts. All we know is that Chloe did some truth telling and said, this ain't going well. This is not what Paul was set out to do. This is not what it sounds like the Christian church is supposed to do. And even more so, she's not saying that. People are just like being Iowa nice and just quietly grumbling in their, in their bedrooms or at their dinner tables. They're actively engaging in conflict. They're, they're quarreling. Well, I don't know if Corinthians, uh, the Corinthians had, uh, had Facebook back then, but I'm sure they had some form of it because how else do you quarrel? I mean, we're really, really good at that. People of Parkview are really good about quarreling on Facebook and social media. People of Parkview are good at yelling matches. That's not the way we should be. I mean, my own divisive heart is good at those kind of quarrels. That's not the way it's meant to be. That's not the church. That's not Christ. 
He says, let me clarify this a little bit more. He says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or there's always that guy in the, in, in the room in the fight where he's like this fourth party that he's like standing away. He's like, you guys, you all, you all fight over there. I'm going to be over here with my Bible. I, I follow Jesus. I'm just going to be with God over here. You do that. I do that. We all think that we've got Jesus' answer. And we start to demonize the people who disagree with us. We start to fight intensely. Not just a disagreement and a dialogue, but a condemnation that you are different than me. That gets us in all those categories way less likely to find unity. And I don't know about you, when, when I just scroll through social media, like I feel the discord in my heart when I listen to the news, I hear the discord. When I read articles, news, updates, it's just contentious. This is not the way the church is to be. Now, what do we do with these guys here? Because I think that's, there, there, there's a lot that can be debated here, and this is very much the Corinthians church, and, and all of 1 Corinthians is going to explain to us all of this divisiveness that happens within the Corinthian church, or the church that happens to be in Corinth. Also, a lot of same themes of the church that happens to be in Iowa City or, or North Liberty or Coralville. But he points it on these people. Specifically for us today is these people that he puts it on. He says, I follow Paul. That's himself. Uh, I follow Apollos, maybe referencing uh, Acts 18. Uh, there's this guy named Apollos. He's eloquent in speech. He comes to the region that, uh, that the Corinthian church is in. Uh, and, and so we could maybe put a pretty logical link that this is a guy who's very good at speaking. He brings a lot of Greek wisdom in to this idea of Christianity. Um, or this other guy who's following, uh, I follow Cephas, which is an Aramaic translation of the name Peter. Um, and so we don't know if like the apostle Peter actually was here in Corinth. Um, but what we could probably gather is that he's, you know, given a nod to this Jewish circle. You know, kind of all the disciples were Jews, and then they became Christians, so there's kind of a Jewish flavor to Christianity, and then this Greek flavor to Christianity, and maybe that's where it's at, uh, but we just don't know. And that's one thing that I think is very pointed about the Bible, is when we don't have the answers, don't put them in. So I'm just saying maybe this is where we'll be, but I think what we gather here, what we can get here is that these personalities were big. And they were really big because it doesn't sound like these guys were promoting themselves. Maybe, I don't know. It doesn't say. But it sure sounds like the people of the church really thought a big deal about these guys. There's a caution here towards that idea of maybe the, the, the Christian leader, the celebrity Christian leader. And I think there are maybe two points here. I, I, on a bigger level... We do this. We, we celebrate these. We, our divisive hearts go into these kind of camps and these kind of factions. Um, maybe, maybe if you haven't read much of Tim Keller, you should read more Tim Keller. You know, I heard this great thing from John Piper. I'm just going to share you some stuff from John Piper. Bill Hybels had some good stuff coming out. Andy Stanley has a great way of leading us. Now, these guys maybe not, won't be clamoring to it, and I think that's the same point. They could be all presenting a very good gospel, a very sound doctrinal gospel, but it's when our hearts latch onto them and we say, this is my guy, this is my camp, this is my faction. 
But that's where we start dividing up the church in the way that Paul is saying should not be done. Now, I'm going to bring it even at a Parkview level. I mean, we're, we're in a spot where we look two different levels here. We look at past church leadership, elders, pastors, staff of any kind. I've been around here long enough to know we have some heroes. And we have some maybe lackluster uh, leaders. I know that today I get emails. I know we have opinions about leadership. I know we, we have ideas about where we want leadership to go. Paul is going to point out here in the next, uh, in the next verse, he's going to point out this idea that your church leaders are not your savior. They haven't been, they aren't, and they won't be. The church runs on something different. The church runs on the gospel. The church runs on the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So don't put your weight and your hope in one person. Now, I've talked to a lot of the pastors here now, and we're going to try as hard as we can to be a faithful church, to be a loyal church, to be on board with and in line with diligently the truth of Scripture. And that's what we want to give you. But none of us is so great that we have the answer. None of us is the Savior. So protect our hearts from that. But I know also that in a time where we're wondering who will be our next lead pastor, lots of division can crop up. You get a good sermon from this guy or a good sermon from that guy. You have an elder present something that's great and compelling. You have another, another staff decide we want to make a movement here or there. I've been a pastor of a church that was broken apart because of this kind of faction. It's not only offensive to Christ, but it is painful for the people that are in it. And so I would urge you with everything for the name of Jesus Christ, let's not go there. Let's not lift up one pastor or staff or elder against another. We all need to commit to that. Just as Paul is saying, this goes sideways when we get arrogant. This goes sideways when we look for that sparkly leader. We just need to be looking at Christ. And that's where he's going to go. He says, I am offended, not because you messed up my church scheme. He says in verse 13, I am offended because you have offended Jesus Christ. Is Christ divided? The answer, no. And then, and then, he, and then he goes on to, some, to a couple weird questions. I love it when, when old wise men ask weird questions. It makes me think more. And he's going to do that. Was Paul crucified for you? I don't even get that. Was Paul crucified for you? No, it was Jesus Christ. Was Paul your redemption from sin? No, it was Jesus. So don't make him that. He says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Did you have newness of life in the waters, of the unifying waters of baptism? Was that from Paul? No. And then he goes on to say, and I thank God that I didn't baptize anybody, and more or less in his digression there. He says, I thank God I didn't baptize anyone because y'all can't handle this. I mean, if you want to logically take this idea that we've got to have that guy preaching, we've got to have that guy baptizing, we've got to have that guy counseling, we've got to have these specific specialists in these roles that will be so amazing that we can point to them and say, that's our guy. He said, if you're going to take it that way, we go with this way with baptism, I mean, you might as well get your favorite celebrity to baptize you. 
Because Paul is nothing compared to some of the celebrities of that time. He said, this is strange. This is discord. And then he goes on to give us this content. He says, I urge you to agree, but you're not agreeing. And this is not Christ. He's going to go on at length in chapter 12 of, of 1 Corinthians to say, you are the body of Christ. And that means, so you, you, as you know Christ, you then show Christ. And as you show Christ together, everyone, it seems as though you're showing that Christ is divided. What you are doing is you're actually presenting in your divisiveness, you're presenting something that's opposed to the gospel. You say, I'm a Christian, and that that person over there that goes to church with me is dead wrong. It doesn't make sense. Is Christ divided? But he gives us that unifying thing because there is place for difference of opinion within the church. But he's going to bring us to that which he calls first importance. There is something that we are unified about. There is something fundamentally that we are united on. He says, I didn't, uh, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. I, I, he said, I, I may have baptized some of you, but I'm glad I didn't because you got some issues with that and the celebrity culture that's there. He said, but what I wanted to know, some other people might baptize, but I wanted to make sure to, to get the first go at it. I wanted to make sure people actually understood what the gospel was. The death and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the newness of life. And that's the baptism that unifies you into the whole family, into the fellowship of his son, verse 9. And what is the content of that gospel? The cross of Christ. And what is the power of that gospel? The cross of Christ. One, uh, one uh, theologian commentator says, um, he says that the, the, the unity of the church is this, that we stand together as equals under the cross. You see, if we go back to last week, we see Paul says, I thank you. I thank God that you have been enriched in all knowledge, in all speech. But you're crazy apathetic when it comes to loving one another. You need some humility. And if we all have that humility at the foot of the cross, we might have a chance at loving one another. But you will never get true love of one another if you don't admit that you are standing together equals under the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is the loving, uh, leveling plane. It is what makes us equal. So how do we move then to this unity? How do we, how do we get there? Um, Paul comes, you know, out of the gate here. I mean, we're going we're gonna to slowly go through this argument here, but today's text, he's very fiery. <laughs> and so I'm very fiery. Uh, but, but there is a way forward. I think, I think what he gives us with this idea of the cross of Christ, we go and we apply this back to the other aspects of, of what he's saying is going wrong or where he's urging, and we see that the cross of Christ is actually sufficient to help us have the same speak, the same thought, and the same purposes. You see, oftentimes we spend more of our day struggling with, discussing, arguing, quarreling, stewing on the differences we have with others. 
Now, I'm convicted even as I've been preparing this that I don't spend far enough time speaking to that which we agree on. Of first importance, that Christ died for the forgiveness of sins, that he was buried and on the third, days, third day rose again. That's 1 Corinthians 15. We should speak more of this. We should speak more of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We should speak more of the love of Jesus Christ, of the humility of Jesus Christ. We should try and ask each other, how do you go about following that way? How do you die to self in your frustration in this conversation? Where is the truth? Where is the actual truth? Not your just opinion or what pads your comfort, but what is that uncomfortable reality that will move us all together for the cause of Christ? Same speak. We need to have those conversations more. Same mind. How do I reason through the issues of my day? How do I get that gospel framework, that gospel methodology to think through circumstances, problems, issues, and resolve at a God-glorifying conclusion? And how do I have that same goal? Well, three words you're going to hear a lot uh, this year. You're going to hear these three words. Uh, word, prayer, and love. And I'm convinced that these are three of many ways in which we get that same speak. We get that same mind. We get that same uh, goal, that same purpose as Christians. And I maybe even liken this, going back to that idea of chords. This is how we get onto the same key. This is how we tune the notes so that when we are unified in the cross of Christ, we then can go forward harmoniously. Word is one way in which we can find that unity. Uh, Word is the Bible. Uh, The Bible. And we ask this question for yourself. How much Bible is open, or how much is the Bible open as you consider your politics, as you consider uh, the police, as you consider pandemic? And just how you deal with that. What, what, how do we make sense of this? How you consider uh, church leadership. How you consider what we do together in our worship. How much Bible is open in your own life on that? And whether it's a lot or whether it's a little, I'm just going to give the right answer and encourage you to do it more. But, but not even that. What if someone else is informing you of that? How much is the Bible open for them? How much do they make use of the Bible? Are they quoting it, misquoting it? Are they, are they editing it and amending it? Are they totally confused, just spouting out verses here or there that, 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 that they show that they don't have that? We need to be testing people when they quote the Bible to us as an authoritative stance. We need to be able to test that and make sure we know that this is good Doctrine, that this, is good, um, that this is good content. And not just go with the cunning eloquence that so pervades those loudspeakers of our culture today. But it's not just opening the Bible and learning the jargon, learning the Christianese, understanding the phrases that'll make all the Christians say amen. That's not, that's not what it is. We must map this to our hearts. This is the key that we play, and we need to tune our hearts to that. We're not talking about doctrine of salvation kind of issues. That's for somewhere. We can, we can discuss that somewhere else. Paul is not talking about that here. 
Paul, Apollos, Cephas, they're not debating that as we know of here. He's saying, we're going to this approach, this, this eloquence, this stance, this swagger that accompanies each one of these personalities. We're not talking about the theology of salvation, maybe right here. We're, we're, it's more kind of in, in our terms, it maybe it'd be like our approach to evangelism. There are ways in which we talk about this, our wording as we present it. They're spending their time on these things so that they can maybe be more successful just by turning some screws here or there. What is the content is what will align us. And the content is faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins and newness of life. And so as we read the word, as we're in the Bible, it's not just a reading exercise and then we go away. There's a way that the Spirit unites us as we read the Bible, but there are other ways that we are united. Uh, one of those is through prayer. Word, prayer. Those are two ways in which we are, uh, find greater unity as Christians. Prayer is a formative activity. I, I'm, I'm convicted of this. It is a formative activity. What I mean by that is that it's something that we do. We are, we are informed by the Bible, and then we respond. Uh, Pastor Wade, he gave us a great example of, of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. He went through all of these uh, with us at the beginning of the service today. The Bible directs us from that. We pray scripture. It gives us things that we can praise God for. It gives us uh, uh, items, truths that we can thank God for. It, gives, it convicts us of sins. And then it requires us things for which we need to ask God for help. There are many ways that we can pray the Bible. And as we express this, it changes us. That's what I mean by it's formative. As we do this, it reinforces that, uh, that, that truth in us. It shapes us in some way. Uh, one of the ways uh, that I've, I've seen this most pointedly is, um, oh, an exercise that's just so infuriatingly humbling is uh, when, I, when I find myself quarreling with someone, whether it's directly and they've heard me or whether I'm just running my mouth in my car or in my room or in my office, um, if I pause and I pray for the hope, the peace, the love, the gifts, the enrichment, the whatever goodness that God has for them, for the person to which I am struggling with. I find that it softens my heart. I find that it gives me greater perspective. I find that it actually shifts me from uh, rebuking and refuting the person that I'm engaged with, and it actually almost changes the perspective to see, oh wait, Satan is behind this. He is deceiving us. He is creating discord here and loving it. And I don't know a time in which I have prayed for someone that I thought, that's the last person on earth I want to play, pray for right now. Like they are the number one trouble in my day. And when I stop and pray, how it just goes away. It's remarkable how prayer Faithful, fervent prayer that is humble. God, you know, there's always the vindictive prayer. Lord, you know, punish them. You can pray that. That's neat. But this is praying for the unity. The word instructs us towards unity. Prayer forms us towards unity. And then there's one more thing is then love. Word, prayer, and love. Love is, is something where we don't just, um, you know, uh, Midwestern, passive-aggressive, Iowa nice, just kind of like 
be there and let them or the loudest speaker or whatever happens just be there and awkwardly love. That's not exactly what it is. This kind of love that Paul is showing us, he's demonstrating for us, it engages. It says, I love you and we can't go this direction. I love you and we got to talk. We need to reason together. Reasoning together. When has that happened in 2020? <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a, 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 a dying art. <laughs> we need to bring it back. This is part of what it means to be Christian. We reason together from the truth of Scripture as the Spirit directs us. We need to listen, actively listen to each other. Ask follow-up questions, not just prepare for our response. We need to teach each other, and we can't teach each other unless we're learning from the Word. We need to learn together. We have lost the ability to have conversations. It just doesn't seem like anyone has a taste for it, but that's what we need. Word, prayer, and love. There is a unity that comes at the foot of the cross. It is a beautiful thing when brothers and sisters dwell in unity together. When we tune our hearts to the key of Christ, it can be harmonious. And so, my urge is the same as Paul's urge. And that urge is that with all that Christ is, agree, have the same speak, have the same thought, have the same goal, and do that at the foot of the cross. It's the first place that we can be unified. And from there, speak to his glory, speak to his truth, speak to his forgiveness, even at the cost of pushing your agenda, even at the cost of building up your reputation. Christ first. And that is our Christian unity. I don't want to stop there. I want to keep praying. I just said prayer is formative. We just dove into the word. And so I actually want to lead us uh, in some guided prayer, some pointed guided prayer for us today. So we'll take a couple minutes here. Uh, We'll pray uh, together uh, as I guide us, but then we'll finish here with the Lord's prayer, uh, that wonderful prayer that unifies and aligns our hearts and our wills to his. So let's pray now. God, you are magnificent. You are uh, sovereign. You are above any person or personality, a king or ruler, authority on heaven and on earth. And we thank you for that. We thank you that Parkview Church uh, has survived, has continued, and will continue only by your will. People and personalities, structures, boards, leaders, pastors, staff, they all come and go. But you and your church continue as you direct it. We pray that as we read this, we're convicted. We pray that you would forgive us of our divisive hearts. That we we are arrogant in our own ability. We put our own ability above yours. We are arrogant in our inability, thinking that you can't do anything to overcome how worthless we are. So in our arrogance of our ability and our inability, we ask for your forgiveness, thinking so little of you. But regardless, we have not loved our neighbor 
as we ought. And so, brothers and sisters and friends, I invite you to pray for forgiveness. Just ask God, forgive me for not loving others as I should. And if it's helpful for you, think of that one person you do not want to forgive, you have so many troubles with. Pray for them that God would work in your heart and in their heart to move you to a greater unity. God, you teach us to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray for our culture. It is sideways a couple times over. We are just upside down as a culture. And uh, it is so confusing uh, how to make sense of anything, how to trust anyone or any, any kind, of, kind of information or dialogue or, or whatever the direction is that you are taking us. We need some help here. But, but even so, our culture is hurting. We pray that you would put our world, that you would put our governments, that you would put our culture, that you would put our society under the rule and reign of the crucified Lord Jesus Christ very clearly. Brothers and sisters and friends, I invite you to pray that the Lord Jesus Christ be made known as the king, the ruler, the authority of all governments all cultures, all societies. Pray now for the world. God, you put leaders in place. You have everything orchestrated. And we have much to learn about how you orchestrate. And brothers and sisters, let's pray for our leaders now, that they would be encouraged, that they would be comforted, that they would be confident, that they would endure because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not their own skills and their abilities, not their own opinions and their own convictions one way or the other, but that they, that they be encouraged, comforted, and confident in the Lord Jesus Christ. That there be a turning towards faith and a reinforcement of faith. Pray now for our leaders. God, I pray in all these things that you would give us, the saints, your people, those of faith that you would give us a singular focus on Christ in our words, in our thoughts, and in our intentions. We thank you so much for your forgiveness, for your truth, for your correction for your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray now the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.